This is the Ether Review, a talk show passing the components of the Ethereum global computing platform and its ecosystem. Building on a basic knowledge of the blockchain, we seek to understand the mechanics behind this new generation computing network and the services it powers. Some of the discussions featured on this show are technical, while others are higher level. Today, Vlad Zamfir joins Jared Hope and myself to explain the Casper Proof-of-Stake consensus system. What's going on, Vlad? Hi there. Sick kite surfing photo. Oh, cool, yeah. Thanks. I, I'm hoping to go again soon, but the wind just isn't there yet. Yeah. Whereabouts are you located? I'm in Seattle at the moment. Cool. Well, yeah. F- thanks for uh, thanks for chatting with us. You know, been really looking forward to speak with you for a while, eh? No problem. How'd you get involved with Ethereum? Um, I mean, I'm I met Vitalik um at the Toronto Bitcoin meetup and got interested in Ethereum. Uh, although I had heard about it before on the internet, and then and then at the it was like a Bitcoin Expo 2014 in April. Me and Ethan brought uh, at the hackathon made an Ethereum application. Ah, uh, that was was that Crypto um, Schwartz? That's Crypto Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How's that going? Is it still active? I mean, it's something that we're still thinking about, but basically, we need to wait for the lower levels of the stack to uh, mature a bit, and so we're, we're both working at the low level. Right. And then I basically uh, volunteered for Ethereum for like seven months or something, and then I and then Vitalik offered me a job. Uh, in December, and so I've been like working for Ethereum on a like consulting basis on like various research pro- problems. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, reputation at the moment? Because you've got the uh, sort of eigentrust sort of uh, approach uh, and more of an insurance-based approach that I've seen. There's just a long list <laughs> worked on reputation, incentivized file, short, file sharing, uh, blockchain scaling. Um, proof of stake, um, ASIC hard proof of work. Uh, uh, done basically a large breadth of research, not a huge amount of depth in any particular area except for proof of stake, where I have a lot of depth. And uh, okay, so do you have any? Uh, since you're consulting, then it sounds like. Uh, do you have any other projects that you're working on? Yeah, um, I would break reputation systems up into basically. Two axes. Um, what as to whether it uses public or private information, and as to uh, and as to whether the object uh, the reputation is objective or or subjective or uh, relative. So some reputation systems assign, you know, for every pair of pair of members uh, a reputation from A to B, right? That A assigns B. So that's like a relative or subjective reputation system. Some reputation systems give everyone like a number. So that's like a objective reputation system, and then you can, and then reputation systems could rely on information that's public, i.e., like you know entries in the blockchain or something, or uh, information that's also private. So there's like four quadrants, and uh, you know any given reputation system will land somewhere in there, and uh, and then there then you can talk about the different security problems with different types of reputation systems and different ways to defend against them. But this that could get, you know, become a long conversation. So, Vlad, how did you get interested in consensus algorithms? 
it's kind of, so first I, I mean first I got interested in consensus algorithms because of like you know Bitcoin is a consensus algorithm. Um, but I only really got deeply interested once I realized that um, you know you could you could secure blockchain with digital signatures uh, if you if you use like security deposits. Um, anyways, which is slowly getting to which is getting to the proof of stake thing, uh, and then you need to start thinking about the problem of consensus uh, in a lot of detail. Uh, and so I just like en ended up, you know, spending a lot of time doing that. So, I mean, Ethereum uses the ghost protocol right now. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. At, okay. And like, how, how is that better than uh, Bitcoin's current version of proof of work? Oh, so the ghost protocol makes it so that orphan blocks contribute to the security of the fork? As opposed to being discarded completely. That's right, yeah. Um, and so that uh, that will let, lets you have faster block times without compromising on security. Vlad, how does the ghost protocol work? In, in terms of a high overview? Um, orphan blocks are included in blocks. Uh, at higher heights, uh, basically, you can think of it as being like a special entry in the block that is a block header. The way to think about it is that like the state transition function will reward the miner who produced that orphan block, and the fork choice rule will count the work in the orphan block towards the score of the fork. So there's two things going on there: compensating the miner for the work and counting the work for the score of the fork. Basically, a block will accept orphans from a certain number of generations only. So you have to be kind of trying to mine on the head of the chain for you to be rewarded. So, okay, so then, how, like, what is proof of stake? Cool, yeah. So this is, uh, this is uh, gonna be a lot of fun, I guess. Oh, yeah. uh, so what I've done is I, I've, so Casper is a proof of stake protocol that we try to, which is security deposit based. Um, that means that like security comes from the fact that security deposits uh, will be forfeit partially or entirely during uh, due to uh, Byzantine or a poor performance behavior. And so basically, the protocol it defines how, what happens to the validator's security deposits and different outcomes, and it like distributes transaction fees to them. Um, and basically, Casper is called Casper because it's an adaptation of Ghost, um, which is this protocol proof of work to proof stake. So basically, we're going to have like a similar, a similar thing where orphan blocks are, uh, you know, captured and incentives are a function of what happened on the or in in the orphan stuff. And and so you said it's an adaptation of uh, of Ghost. How how is it an adaptation? Is there still some hashing involved, or no? There's no there's no like proof of work. Uh, it's just the the idea that orphan blocks, and we have this other structure called validation, uh, which is like a signature on a block, or which basically like places a bet, which ends up being a portion of the validator's security deposit on whether or not a block is going to end up being finalized. Okay. Um, Basically, there's like blocks and this validation information that get included in blocks in order to uh, determine payouts and the scores of forks. 
it's quite a, it's quite technically detailed right there. Like uh, if you're a layman and uh, oh, sorry, if you're speaking to just a layman and uh, wanted to give them the benefits of uh, proof of stake over proof of work, like how would it, how would oh, proof yeah. of stake better than proof of work? Sure. So firstly, let's do the layman thing for the ghost. Uh, ghost basically means that you get faster blocks without compromising on security. Okay. So you get higher so, transactions per second. Not necessarily. You just get okay. lower latency. Right. And okay. your, the security of your transaction will ramp up faster. The way that I would describe it is that proof of work makes uh, producing any any block expensive, but if you put it in the right place, you're rewarded. And so it 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 makes consensus hard, but right. it rewards it rewards the good consensus. In security deposit based proof of stake. Um, it's going to be easy to produce blocks, but if you do it in the wrong way, you get punished. So instead of being rewarded if you do it in the right way, you get punished if you do it in the wrong way. And this kind of like security deposit-based, punishment-based model, uh, while it is more complicated to specify the rules of how how much, how much, when, how much punishments ha what punishment happens, because the cost exists only when nodes are faulty or um, to varying degrees, uh, the security model is more reactive. So it's it's cheap to, it's like the cost of securing the consensus is low, except for when there's an attack, in which case the, the, the attacker has to spend a lot of money. Right, okay. As opposed to everyone is constantly spending more money than an attacker might at any time. So you made the distinction between security deposit proof of stake. Are there other variations on that that seem like good candidates? Um, variations of security deposit proof of stake? Uh, of proof of stake in general. And I guess security deposit. Oh, so, so, there, so, there, so there's, bas there's basically, uh, you know, there's this thing called the nothing at stake problem that you've probably heard of. Yeah. Um, and the idea there is that if, if you're, if you're, uh, the key that you're signing a block with, uh, no longer has coins on it, um, then it's really cheap for you to produce that signature. Security deposits basically lock down coins to a key so that for a time, any signature that comes from that key is, is, is economically meaningful in as far as it, the signature being incorrect would mean the forfeiture of that deposit. Right. So there's like most most proof stake coins have this problem that like you know uh, coins they, they basically rely on people who used to have coins on not selling their private keys even though they're really cheap. Okay. So in Casper, like uh, you, you mentioned uh, the security deposits. So in Casper. What would prevent uh, like a coalition performing some kind of uh, civil attack by making a lot of security deposits and trying to influence the direction of the blockchain? Is that possible? Great. I mean, that's like exactly that's totally that's exactly the kind of thing that we we're worried about and that that we're designing the protocol to defend against. Okay. Um, what? So, Casper is designed so that uh, a majority coalition uh, finds it costly to censor a minority. Um, so if there's a minority missing, uh, that imposes a cost on the majority. So Casper is sort of designed to give everyone a say, even if they're only part of a minority. Okay. 
it's definitely not the only way to apply ghost, the principles of ghost to proof stake. But basically, there's like a few things that ghost has done. Um, one of them is it, it, it creates a, a more complicated block structure, right? They use like block trees as opposed to just block chains. Um, and then they, they, because, and basically that, that's what it is when we, we talk about like, you know, including an orphan. We're really kind of stretching the definition of what a blockchain is allowed to be in order to allow this little forking and then coming back together. Um, so the, one of the things that Ghost did was change our idea of what we're choosing. Instead of choosing block uh, forks, we can think about choosing uh, subtrees. Um, and then the other thing that it did was it made the incentivization a function of all sorts of behavior that isn't just uh, in the principal blockchain. So the version of history that we choose and the, uh, and the economics are a function of this weirder block structure as opposed to just being a simple blockchain. Right. Hey, who came up with that idea? Um, I mean, there was this, the, the original paper was called Accelerating Bitcoin's Transaction Processing. Fast money goes on, grows on trees, not chains. Uh, I'm, it's by uh, Sam, Sam Polinsky and Zohar. Ah, uh, yes, I read it actually, yeah. So in a, pre, in a previous, uh, uh, actually in your blog post on Ethereum, you, uh, you mentioned the, the cap theorem. I was wondering if you could restate the cap theorem and uh, also explain what you mean by Casper favoring availability over consistency. Sure, yeah, I would love to talk about that. Um, so the cap theorem is this uh, result that uh, in like consensus research that it's been a little bit confused because it was initially stated in a misleading way. But um, the cap theorem basically says that if there is a network partition, then your consensus protocol must choose between having the copy of the state on either side of the partition consistent or for clients to have state changes be available to them. So as a client talking to a node on one side of the partition, if I make a request and I can cause a, change, a state change okay. on my side of the partition, then that will become inconsistent with whatever state change happened on the other side of the partition. So if I can make a change, then it becomes inconsistent. If I can't make a change, then it can stay consistent. So if there's a partition, then a consensus protocol chooses between being available or being consistent. So basically what that means is that if there's a partition, you could still, you know, talk to the blockchain, so to speak. Give it a, you know, you would see block, you would see new blocks. But then those, right. but then that would wipe the history of, uh, of the smaller chain, wouldn't it? Sure. So when the pro when the partition uh, disappears and the sides of the network reconnect, uh, one of the sides is going to have their transaction history uh, reordered and have transactions probably inserted before their transactions. This is basically Bitcoin has this model today. If we had like a partition between like China and the rest of the world, everyone would grow their own blockchain, and then when there's a, when it reconnects, one one side would win out. And hopefully you would notice uh, from the slower, slower blocks and proof of work that uh, you know you, you have less security. Um, in in proofs in Casper, um, Casper kind of self-reports uh, on how how much of the security deposits are on are like participating. Uh, and so if you and so you basically be able to tell that this can be reverted and that it hasn't been finalized. If it's fi if it's been finalized, then you don't have this problem of 
potentially your transactions being reviewed. So there's a point at which a entry into the blockchain becomes permanent, and any uh, any fork that originates prior to that point uh, is will not be accepted as a um, as part of the blockchain. Is that how how exactly does that work, and and what's the uh, what's the purpose behind uh, that limitation? Basically, that is we call that like blockchain finality. So that's when. Uh, all clients who see that this block has been finalized would refuse to adopt a fork, um, which doesn't include that block as uh, winning at that height or the state for at existing at some particular height. So uh, this lets us have finality of transactions. And the way that that works is that clients who are online often enough will be able to tell which transactions are finalized, although from the Genesis block you might have a problem. And actually the authentication model in Proof-of-Stake is different than that in Proof-of-Work uh, in that we don't use the Genesis block to authenticate the current state. So there's there's a little there's quite a bit going on, but the, the benefit of finality is that um, you can be like 100% certain that no matter how much money an adversary spends, uh, that transaction will not be reverted. What's interesting to me is like, okay, we're making security deposits, but uh, they're a transaction themselves on, on the network, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we're using proof of stake to secure the network, then isn't there kind of like this, uh, I, don't, I don't fully understand the protocol, but like, isn't there kind of like this double entendre where you're making a security deposit, but it's not yet secure? Like yeah, sure. And state. I mean, uh, this is this is this is kind of like you know the beauty of cryptocurrency, right? I mean, proof of work has the same property, where it's only secure if there's a significant amount of uh, computational power to make the hashes small, and that can only happen if the bitcoins already have a price. Uh, and so, it kind of assuming that Bitcoin has a price, then Bitcoin is secure. Uh, and this is the same type of thing. We need to we need to assume that the security deposits have a price in order to show that. Um, that this thing is secure and the consensus will be coherent. So, I mean, have you thought about like how that would affect the, the, uh, the value of Ether? Um, like surely, surely having like, it would have some kind of impact on, on its value. I mean, I think the main thing will come from, um, not having to do nearly as much, if any issuance. Um, Having security deposits does mean that a bunch of ether will be tied up in security deposits, but I don't imagine it will be like that that much of the ether. So I, I guess I'm, I'm actually pretty optimistic about what it would do, basically because I think that proof of work is you know entirely too expensive, right. and and it has to be basically paid for by issuance at the moment. Otherwise, it's just not secure. So proof of stake is going to be uh, potentially cheaper. It's going to give us much less latency. Transaction finality? Ah, yes, transaction finality. Fantastic. What we want is to have incentives such that uh, everyone is most profitable if everyone is included. Um, So if you think about like proof of work, for example, um, and you actually do the analysis, it turns out that, say, if 80% of the mining power got together and censored 20% of the mining power, um, they would, after the difficulty adjustment, get a 25% raise. 
So there's like a, the, 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 the pro, most profitable coalition actually has 51% in it. Um, because they, they could censor everyone and double their profit and then, um, also do double spends. Um, basically what, what, what we want is to have the majority coalition, sorry, the, uh, the grand coalition, which is a coalition with everyone involved, um, to be the one that's most profitable. And so one of the things that we do is we pay, uh, we pay transaction fees proportion to people's bonds, not in proportion to how many of them are around. And we also will pay them less if fewer people are around. So that way, uh, there's like no incentive to, to, to like try to DOS other validators offline. If you're a validator, you really want everyone to be available and online. Um, and as a majority, that makes it uh, expensive for you to censor the minority. Hey, you mentioned uh, that it comes with its own uh, set of problems and uh, a miner would have a different kind of skill set. Could you elaborate a bit more on what that potential skill set would be? Yeah, I think this is like closer to um, kind of an ops uh, skill set where you need to be able to maintain reliable servers online all like all the time and to make sure to like to like monitor logs to make sure that nothing's weird nothing weird is going on uh, to have like redundant checks um, and basically. Um, because you have to make sure that you're not compromised. Because if you're compromised, then that, then you could um, you could lose your whole security deposit. Okay, and it's are we calling these uh, these individuals uh, validators in this protocol? Yeah, that's that's the running nomenclature. Because my understanding that there is a, a list of validators and it's constantly changing. Um, is it still possible to verify the blockchain from Genesis, or how does that work? Great, yeah, um, that's a great question. So, well, actually, so that actually let me segue into talking about you know how people, people always mention there's like these fundamental problems of proof of stake, and one of them is a long range stack problem, uh, and then the other ones are nothing at stake and stake grinding. Uh, so. This, so, so you're you're kind of asking about the long range attack problem. Um, so the long range attack problem is this idea that um, someone with control of keys from some time ago will be able to create a long range fork that has a higher score than the currently executing fork. And basically, um, for example, you can imagine that like the past sets of validators who are no longer bonded could create a fork. And that like outperforms the current fork. So the way that we uh, deal with this is we we kind of we we don't have the same authentication model as proof of work. Um, we don't rely on the Genesis block. Instead, we rely on the list of currently bonded validators. So if you if you have a list of currently bonded validators, then if you come online, uh, say like once every six months, um, you will be able to learn the next list of bonded validators and you'll be able to watch the rotation happen without uh without relying on any kind of external source of information for the list of bonded validators um however if it's the first time you're connecting to the consensus uh you're going to need to get out of band the, the list of the current bonded validators so basically um 
Think of it as like public key authentication, but for the whole blockchain. So everyone needs to know this one blockchain public key, which is this list of bonded validators. Uh, and so that all that means that like the whole chain could be made in the middle, in the sense that if you if you have a wrong, an incorrect list of bonded validators, you can be totally lied to about what is going on. Um, How is that resolved? And uh, well, I mean, it's just you know, you just have to get the correct information when you like sync up. If you don't have the correct bonded validators, then you're gonna you know go into some parallel non-existent economy. Right. <laughs> Um, and the, this prevents like the long range attack problem. Uh, it, it, it makes this, it makes security deposit based authentication of the consensus possible. Um, because if you don't know who has the security deposits then you don't know who can produce meaningful economic proofs, i.e. statements of the form, you know, if this block is invalid, then I will lose my security deposit. Oh, that sounds quite handy for light clients then. Is super handy for light clients. Light is it's extremely light client friendly relative to work because you don't need to download uh, these headers of work. You can just like get a whole bunch of bonded validators to like pledge their security deposit that this piece of the state is correct. And how are they rewarded then for for pledging that the state is correct? Well, so. Partly they do that every time they sign a block, and they are rewarded with transaction fees for that. Okay, so it's just part of the normal. Uh, yeah, because basically all of the pieces of the state can have Merkle proofs of block headers. Yeah, okay. But it's still, like, uh, to me, like, say uh, you did want to get a, a copy of the history, then you would, I, I, I still find it quite difficult to uh, visualize how you would go back in history and, and get all of that, unless, oh, unless you communicate to the, the, val uh, the validators and ask and request them to put some some deposit on a particular state of the network at any given time so actually um if there's a hash collision from anything in the past to the current state so if you just get them to validate the current state that's enough for you to use basically just like cryptography ah right um, okay of course to authenticate the, anything the merkle. yeah yeah because uh, the merkle structure goes all the way to the it's, it's part of the, the blockchain is also a merkle, merkle structure yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, all right. Uh, so, I mean, proof of stake is, is was uh, well previously was scheduled for a Serenity release. Do you think that's still realistic? Yeah. I mean, the the date of the Serenity release is like unknown, but uh, it is going to be part of the Serenity okay. release. So when it's out, it's out. <laughs> um, oh yeah. So the two other things that we haven't talked about too much is like the nothing at stake and stake grinding problems. What are they? Um, so nothing at stake problem again is this idea that like signatures are cheap to produce and it doesn't cost you anything. And the way we address that is by having security deposits and um, doing our best to make sure that if you sign, if you if you if you produce sign two blocks, for example, at the same height, then um, you lose your security deposit. So there is something at stake, and then and you have to place that thing at stake in order to produce blocks in the first place. And then the the stake grinding attack has to do with um, trying many different blocks in order to influence some kind of entropy source that determines who produces future blocks. Um, there's been a lot of work in the proof-of-stake space to deal with that problem, um, and basically there's two ways to deal with it. One of them, one of them, uh, which is the, the one that everyone's focused on, is like to make a, make an entropy generator that requires like a very large majority in order to game. 
Um, and, and that works to an extent. Uh, and then there's this other class of solutions, which I prefer if you can make it, if you can make it work, which is not rely on entropy at all. And how do you do that? By just having like a, a round robin order of who produces blocks, uh, and not have it be like the result of an election. And the nice thing about that is that you, the protocol gets to observe, uh, if people are being skipped much more directly. Uh, and and then it can punish everyone for for censorship if if there's if there's blocks that are being skipped. Cool. And what was the other problem? Or that was um, the, okay. the long range attack problem, which we kind of talked about because you need to authenticate against right. current information. So the Genesis block won't do. I mean, you can't you can't authenticate against something from like years ago in this security deposit based proof stake world because the people with deposits rotate over time. And you can only trust signatures from people who currently have deposits. So have you thought much about what the future will look like, like, you know, in 10, maybe even 20 years' times? Like, do you think and blockstream, uh, blockchains go mainstream? Uh, I mean, I think that basically what we need to do is make a blockchain that's really easy to use and scalable uh, and hopefully with as many privacy tools as possible. Um, so there's a... There's a lot of work to do, uh, and basically, blockchain scaling is really important. Um, we're not going to really go mainstream without blockchain scaling. Thanks, Vlad. Also, a big thank you to Rob from the Bitcoin game. Show notes, credits, and links can be found on Twitter, at EtherReview. Feel free to direct any feedback or follow-up questions through that platform. For formal communications, contact at etherreview.info.